This week on the Men at the Movies podcast, we hit the ground running with the 2021 movie Dune. We originally recorded this episode the week the movie came out, and we were going to release it the Friday after Thanksgiving. However, as as you know, we, we listened to the guiding of the spirit, and so we shelved it until the beginning of 2022, and I think that it's a perfectly planned episode. Because coming off the holiday season and diving into a new year, it's important to look at the themes that we talk about in this movie. How will you prepare for the dreams that you have? How will you respond to the training that you must endure? And when you're going through the trial and the pain, which voice will you listen to? The voice of fear or the voice of love? Strap on your still suit, conserve your water, and let's discover God's truth in this movie. Movies and stories we love are gateways to see ourselves and God in new ways. Every great story borrows its power from a larger story, the story that's written on our hearts and woven into the fabric of our very being. Hello and welcome to the Men at the Movies podcast. My name is Paul McDonald and joining me back in the saddle again is Britt Mooney. How you doing, What's man? What's up, everybody? <laughs> no, horses, no horses were injured in the making of this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so we are here to talk about Dune. Not the, not the 84 sting in metal underwear weirdness. Oh wait, that's what I was watching. That's what, oh, we're going to be. This will be an interesting conversation, though. <laughs> <laughs> now I remember reading this book. Nerd alert! I reread <laughs> the book again, just in the last couple of weeks, to get a grasp for. Like I remember really enjoying the book. So it it was interesting because, as you pointed out, Brett, you reminded me this book was written in '64. 1964 or 65. It was back in the 60s. It was, it's been a while. Almost 40 years old. And some of the stuff that I I've, I've saw about it, they said that this, this story really set the stage for a lot of stories to come, especially the, this idea of the chosen one. So now I'll kick it over to you and let you. Yeah. I mean, the Lord of the Rings had some of that too. It wasn't completely original for that. And obviously it's not original for the scripture, right? And you know, in, well, in the it's Western, like we say, right? Every story echoes the truth of the Bible. So, what there's somebody that was thousands of years in the making and come along to, yeah, break space and time and bring freedom and greenery for his people, yeah, water to a desert. <laughs> yeah, I read the book, I want to say late 90s. I, I was older when I read the book, it wasn't like when I was a kid and loved it. And then I got into the next two was a Dune Messiah and Children, Children of Dune of or Dune, something. Yeah. yeah. And and those were, if you think the first book was slow, like the <laughs> next two books were like way, like just hold, they're just all conversations. They're not even, they're like nothing happens. They're just all just talking. But of course I, you know, I read through them and, and loved them in their, for their, their own unique thing that they are, unique stories that they are. And, and really there's nothing like Dune. Like you can't compare this to Star Trek or Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. Like it's, it's, it, it is its own unique sort of story. And, and I've always loved it. And I loved the movie, the eighties movie. I loved the movie. Except and, for the uh, Baron. He grossed me out. I did not like him at all. I think he was supposed to gross us out. right? I know, but still, still super <laughs> Big and pustuly and stuff. Yeah, Oof. it was it was nasty. And Sting was in it. And, you know, so that's always, that makes it cool, right? This Sci-Fi Network did a miniseries and it was, it was, it wasn't that good. Yeah. And they needed more money. And so finally, so I think what everybody's excited about is they finally got a chance to do it with more modern technology and special effects and and all of that sort of stuff and and it really was visually stunning wow. and i yeah. really loved it i i loved it I, I told paul before we started that i give it about a b plus i i think it's 
almost impossible to make a movie out of the book just because of it's so philosophical, so in your head, like there's so much conversation and thought process sort of stuff. Right. Because even in the book that's popping around it from different people's perspective, there's no, you know, a lot of stories are from a single person's point of view. You might hear their thoughts, but this is like within the same chapter, you're, you're suddenly from Jessica's mind to Paul's mind. You're just like, what's going on here? A little, sometimes a little, wait, who's, whose eyeballs am I seeing the world through here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny because this was a two and a half hour movie and the, it's interesting. The book is actually set up in three sections because mm-hmm. you talk about probably, I can't remember the name of the first one, probably Dune and then Ma Dib and then prophecy or something like that. But there's three big sections and really this just only got up through the first one probably not even all the way through that one just because, and I told my wife, I said, you know, I I liked it ish. It's hard watching a movie when you're in the middle of reading it because you're constantly comparing what it was to, to the book, to the story. And you're like, it's, it is sort of the same story, but not, but even at two and a half hours, I felt like they rushed through the, the character right. development and the world building. I was like, wait, there's people that we haven't even been introduced yet. And now I know I, I felt, it felt rushed. It was like, Oh, I wanted to spend more time with, with Gurney and Duncan Idaho, by the way, what a great name for a, you know, <laughs> basically the, the, the good guy, the, the strong guy, the, the weapons master or whatever, Duncan Idaho, not much more uh, gritty than that. And great casting, and I love the casting. And overall, I thought they did a good job. But, you know, there's just a couple things here and there that I wish they would have done differently. But I've watched it at home, and I'm really thinking, like, I might need to go see this in a theater somewhere. Just because visually it was so stunning. I I do have surround sound, so I could crank it up. Like, I feel vibrations when when, when you're listening. Um, Going Beach Boys. Um, yeah. The, and I think um, our biggest point of contention is yeah. in the book, the mom, Jessica, she's a badass. She is a, what is it? Bean Gesserit witch. Yeah, she yeah. like has powers of like, she can read people. She can manipulate people. She can fight in the movie portrayed a little bit of that, but really she did a lot of weeping. Which, especially in a book in Dune, how important water is, she yeah. wasted a lot of water. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they were trying to show that she was very conflicted and concerned about her son, who was, I mean, it's a pretty major thing that he's going through, and she understands that. He's but either I, the I one think- or he's going to die. Either, yeah. So that's for a mom. That's a pretty big thing, right? And for dad too. But you know, the dad didn't really understand it. Uh, Duke Leto or Leto or whatever his name is. Yeah. But he, um, but Jessica did understand it. So they were trying to show some of that. But I think they could have done it and still made her seem a little stronger and a little more kind of put together. Because I mean, if she had been doing this for a long time, like she's not just she just kind of would fall apart. And you're like. Yeah. What? Like that, 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 that seemed different than the different enough from the character of the book that I was, you know, I, she was such a strong character. And when you really think about it for something that was written in 1965, I mean, it wasn't like there was no feminine rights or anything like that, but like 1965 for there to be this really strong character that she was and then Chani as well. Like you had these yeah. two really strong female yeah. characters. That's who I remember that in adolescence loving the character of Chani. Yeah. Like, I want to find my Chani. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But not like, oh, well, she's just beautiful and like someone waiting to be saved. Like she teaches him and she yeah, does she's all this capable. Cool stuff. Yeah. Um, she knows what she's doing. Yeah. And she, like you said, he teach she teaches him the ways of the desert and yeah. how to survive, but there's this bond between them that grows, but it's not this, you know, it's, she's not a princess, right? She's yeah. a warrior. And that's not innuendo either. Teaching him the ways of the desert. <laughs> I mean, that's not that's, like, that's literal. That's what she actually does. <laughs> and there, w- there was a scene 
where uh, they were, she was selecting the housekeeper and the housekeeper Mapes was bringing a knife, but she's, and Jessica is like, I can tell that you have a weapon, but I can tell you whatever that weapon is, it's not going to be enough. It was like, Oh yeah, there she is. There then, she is. That's you know, right. Two scenes later, she's crying. <laughs> so, uh, there's a few, there's a few clips. And like you said, with, with the movie and a book and a story, this epic, it's, it's really hard to grasp it. And, and even with a movie, this visually stunning, um, it was hard to, to find some, you know, little clips of dialogue. There was a scene, uh, Paul in the book, he's a 15 year old boy raised to be a Duke really. And Jessica, like I mentioned earlier, is a bean Gesserit witch, which means that she's been trained in all this, these ways. But when you start looking at it, the bean Gesserit is a really shady, they're bad guys. Really? Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, you've been controlling and manipulating the universe to create your outcome. And I was like, wow, that sounds shady. <laughs> it's like, Oh, who made you? <laughs> they're, they're the Illuminati. Yeah. Right. This, these shadow people who everybody's afraid of cause they can fight and, and all this stuff. So there's, a, so Paul's being prepared. There's a lot of fear in this, in the book, especially and we see it in the in the scene in the movie where the that little assassin drone comes out because this fear of assassination of being poisoned of treachery like that's like before they'd eat food they'd have this poison seeker drone check to make sure there's no poison in it they'd make sure like i said there was a lot of fear and protection to the point where when they they're in the desert and somebody gives Jessica a cup of coffee, she's like, this is weird that I'm just taking it and accepting it from this person. You know, like how we do every day in the restaurants. Right. <laughs> but that level of fear is really in just the, the political machinations, um, the manipulations. I don't know, Britt, what clip do you want to start with? I don't know. Uh, Let's do the uh, let's do the dreams make good stories, uh, and, and I think that this kind of early on, and yeah. and I think that that's a, a big part of what's going on in the story. At that point, is kind of a little vision of what's to come, <laughs> and uh, so so <laughs> I, I think that one would, yeah yeah. Well, um, I think it would be a good one to start with, and I think this is maybe the reason that I struggled with this movie a little bit more is because they uh, Timothy Chalamet does a great job as Paul. But I, when I read the book, very similar to Jessica, I had him very much more being a very badass character. And then we get to the movie and he's very emo conflicted. Maybe how it's, maybe how it was intended. And I just was really happy to, there was a character with my name that wasn't a complete <laughs> nerd. <laughs> So in this scene, he's sharing with Duncan, the aforementioned Duncan Idaho, played by Jason Momoa. Great cast, as you mentioned mm -hmm. already. And he's telling him, he's like, I need to go to Arrakis, the, the desert planet. I need to go there with you because he's had these dreams. And these dreams say, you get there, you find the Freeman, which are the, the nomads, the gypsies, the, the desert people. And... I've seen you die, and I feel like if I'm there, then you won't die. And Duncan has, Duncan responds to that fear. Listen, dreams make good stories, but everything important happens when we're awake, because that's when we make things happen. Hey, you, put on some muscle? I did? No. <laughs> He's a scrawny dude, but... <laughs> And that's the, that's the thing, right? Dreams make good stories, but life happens, life happens when you're awake. The important things yeah. happen when you're awake. That's reality. And, and the reason I like that, and I wrote it down on my notes, the reason, reason why I like that is it's not that dreams aren't important. Dreams can influence us and dreams can guide us. And whether, whether you mean that as a dream 
like, I want to be a rock star one day or something, you know, whatever kind of dreams we're talking about, you know, in the scripture, God spoke to people through dreams and, and, and I believe we can be spoken to through dreams. I know I have had dreams that I knew were from God and were spiritually important. And it doesn't happen all the time, but it's happened enough that it's a reality uh, because God's not asleep when I'm asleep or you. Like he's not asleep when we're asleep. So he finds ways to talk to us then too and hang out with us. <laughs> so anyway, so dreams are important. However, like we, we shouldn't elevate dreams to reality in the sense of like they can guide us and they can give us clues or whatever they're meant to do at times. But the important things happen when we are awake and we should be, we can't be so distracted by the dreams. And that's why I like that sort of lesson that he's trying to give Paul at that point is that we can't be so distracted by the dreams that we forget to be in the moment and, and be present where we are. And, and I think a lot of people do have problems with that, that sometimes we're so distracted by our phones or we're distracted by what's going on with sports or we're distracted by, you know, stuff going on with whatever, or even crises at times. Like sometimes we forget to just be in the moment that, that we can't change what's in the past and we we're not in the future yet, but you know, we can actually have, an impact. The only place we can have an impact is right here. That's really the only place yeah. we can have an impact for and for the future. Um, you know, one of my favorite quotes is from the last episode of The Office, which is, you know, the last two seasons of The Office weren't, weren't that great. Uh, but the last <laughs> episode of The Office was amazing. One of the best final episodes of any series ever. And Andy, they're kind of hanging out in the office again and they're getting the crew back together. And, um, and Andy says, you know, when I was here, I was always waiting to get somewhere else. He said, but now that I'm in these other places, I wish I was back here in the office. And he says, I, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days when you're in them. Hmm. And, it, it, and it's kind of, some people might find it cheesy, but I find it very insightful. Like, like be in the moment, realize my kids are only going to be 16, 14 and 12 for a certain amount of time that this season isn't going to last forever. I have to enjoy it. I have to uh, be in the moment and I have to invest in this season uh, the way that I should. And the other aspect of that is the, the dreams and the visions that we have, they only come true because of what we do or don't do in real life. Like he had these dreams that Duncan died in, we will find out later in the movie that he dies a completely different way. <laughs> but this, this idea that, yeah, you can have dreams and they're important. They're, they're good. But what we live is more important and we can get Amen. so wrapped up in these plans yep. and these projects and these ideas that we sort of lose track of the day to day. I love what you said about the kids. Cause I, I, so many, times and it just it's easy as a parent right i just want once they can hold their own bottle then that'll be so good once they can pee in the toilet and i don't have to change no more diapers right and then what you do not that i miss diapers but there's a part of me you know my kids are all you know my youngest is now 15 and i was like what and my daughter's 20 and I think what, what I wouldn't give to hold my five-year-old daughter's hand as we go to school or like one more, say one more day with little Lainey. <laughs> mm -hmm. Not that I don't enjoy spending time with her now, but there's a, a relationship there that has shifted and changed. And there's, we, as you mentioned, we miss the good old days, days that'll never come back because of, of the things. And not that it's bad, but we still have to grieve it. We do. Absolutely. And I think it was interesting. Like it was a sudden shift, that joke about him putting on muscle. Right. Because here he is, is like, oh, you you make, you find the Freeman, you join, you die. But if I'm there, it would change. He's like, oh, you're putting on muscle. You think? No. 
it's almost like saying you think you'd make a bigger difference in a knife fight. It's not really a firefight there. You, or you, if you want to actually help stop dreaming and start training. Yeah. Good. You know, sometimes we think, oh, well, I have this dream and it's just going to happen one day. And it's like, well, what, what are you doing to train for that? Like, yeah. what are you training for that? You know, like I, I've been having conversations with people who have children older than me, like children in college and, you know, who are in their twenties or whatever. And I'm like, what can I do now so that we can establish some traditions so that when they're in college, they come back and want to come back so that we can have dinners together and, you know, and have do a game night or something like, what are some traditions that I could start? And, you know, and some of them are like, man, we wish we would have done that. That's smart to think about it. Like, like, well, how am I disciplining myself now for the dreams that God has given me, you know, because you have to be ready. You have to, if, if you think God has chosen you to do something, then discipline yourself. Like, don't just spend time on your phone or just watching Dune again, uh, like <laughs> I want to do. Um, but, you, you know, you're going to have to make choices and sacrifices to discipline yourself so that when those, when those opportunities come, you're ready. And, and so, and, and this happened to me so many times where the work I put in, you know, it, there's an opportunity later and I can speak intelligently or I can kind of do, do what I'm supposed to do in that moment. And, and there've been other times I'm like, something happens and I'm like, man, I wish I would have worked on that more or whatever, you know, that, that happens too. So, but I, I love that. That's really good. We don't always, we're not always in the mood to train. <laughs> right. It's like, I'm tired. I've got this going on. And cause life comes at you fast to quote another movie. And there you go. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I was waiting for you to finish it. <laughs> we have to stop and smell the roses sometimes. And so we see this in the movie where Paul is, is training. The, the other guy shows up gurney played by Thanos. Right. <laughs> And, and he shows up and he's like, eh, Gurney, I'm not really in the mood. And the guy's like, I don't, I don't, you, you need to prepare. You need to train. You need to be ready. I guess I'm not in the mood today. Mood? Yeah. What's mood to do with it? You fight when the necessity arises, no matter the mood. Now fight! Join me in death. I see you found the mood. Will it be that bad? You don't get it, do you? You don't really understand the grave nature of what's happening to us. For 80 years, Arrakis belonged to House Harkonnen. 80 years of owning the spice fields. Can you imagine the wealth? In your eyes, I need to see it in your eyes. You never met Harkonnens before I have. They're not human. They're brutal. You have to be ready. The, the way he said that at the end is almost the way I think Jesus sounded. He's yeah. like, in this world, you will have trouble. I need you to see that. I need you to be ready. And how do we get ready? We got we to gotta train. We got to put on the armor. We, 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 gotta, we have to train in the armor. We, we can't just say, well, the, the armor is over there in the corner when I need it. Like, no, you have to live in the armor. You know, the, the, the Bible says at one point, like you're a soldier. You don't get to live like a civilian. Yeah. Like you're, like you're a soldier. Like you have to live ready. And, you know, and my mentor used to say, you know, because people would ask him, you know, like if he was going to go speak somewhere, they say, are you ready to speak on Sunday? Are you ready to speak on Saturday or whenever at the event? He goes, if I have to get ready, what am I now? <laughs> he believed my mentor and he taught me like you're always ready to give an account for the hope that is within you. You are always ready. And the devil doesn't care whether you're ready or not. In fact, he'd prefer that you're not. 
And, and that's kind of what comes across in that, in that clip. And I love that where he's not being mean by forcing him to train when he's not in the mood, like champions train when they're not in the mood. There's no champion that just trained when they felt like it or just ran or did whatever they did when it didn't hurt or whatever. Like, no, they played through stuff. The, the enemy who wants to steal, kill and destroy, who is, what does he say? Brutal. What is it? What is the brutal? <laughs> He's like, man, your enemies, the ones who are out to kill you, like they are really out for you. Like they are with everything in their being, they're out to get you. And it doesn't matter whether you're in the mood or not. And it's, it's love to train that way. It's love to tell people like, look, you got to be ready. You got to be on guard. You have to understand that you have an enemy at all times because the devil's not taking a break. You know, right. the world isn't taking a break. The flesh, I mean, our enemies aren't, isn't taking a break. And, and it, I get it. It's exhausting to be on guard like that. It's exhausting to be, to, to think like that. But, but, but that's, but that's why I love that scene is because, you know, we haven't been invited on a cruise ship. We've been recruited on a battleship and, and it shouldn't surprise us. Um, when we're asked to swab the decks, it shouldn't surprise us. Like we, 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 we didn't come to the game to sit in the stands you know, and a lot of people, I think, are surprised when they show up yeah. thinking we're just going to sit and watch the game, and they're given a jock strap and a helmet, and they're like, "What the heck?" What you know, like, uh, what? And hopefully, what pants. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to hit on this a little bit. It's like, ready for what? What's going to happen? Right. It's like, good. We think of the big things, right? We think of, oh, my dad got sick, or oh, my daughter got pregnant, or my. Uh, son died in a car crash or something. We think of these big mm. things as the attacks, but we were talking before. I just, I, I work with this group to do men's retreats. I and mean, this was our first men's retreat in two years because of COVID. And wow. it's about sort of offering freedom. And, and we did a, um, we did a podcast earlier with Dan Horner where we talked about the matrix and he's he's the guy that I've been doing this with for the last eight years now. So I get home Sunday, and I am wiped out. Like it's late nights, but it's, it's as you mentioned, as you know, Britt, you're you're sort of pouring yourself into these guys, and mm. you get back, and you're like, I need to recharge. Well, so Monday was my wife's birthday, and last year was her fiftieth birthday. And it also came over the, the same weekend. We, we did a very small group of people that I was away at the camp for. But I had cards. Like the kids would give her a card each day I was gone. I came back at, like right as I left the, the retreat early and came back to surprise her for her birthday. I made, had a surprise party, had 50 bunt cakes, little buntlet cakes available wow. for her. Yeah, we were... Put on some pounds that week. <laughs> I mean, I nailed it. Yeah, yeah, you did. This year, I was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't even get you a card. I got Aww. you these presents. <laughs> the kids came over, and I'm just, I'm wiped out. I was asleep by nine that on Sunday. And even Monday, it's, it, was, it was that that feeling like she's disappointed in me. I've screwed up. And it was funny you mentioned swabbing the decks because we're getting some work done in our kitchen. And I'm doing some of it. You know, I'm putting down the vinyl planks and I'm, you know, they come in and put the countertop and the sink in. But if you want the, the faucet attached, you're going to have to do that yourself. You've got to reattach the garbage disposal and all this. So we get all that done and I test the dishwasher. Because again, we haven't had a dishwasher in our house for over a month. So I run the dishwasher, no leaks. Yes. Nice. So I put the loaded up. I go run over to Lowe's. And so when I got back home, I come into the kitchen, there's water all over the floor. There's water under the sink. And I'm like, what happened? It's like, I've gone to Lowe's twice. Now I've got to go back and do something to fix whatever this is now. And that feeling of, 
of being overwhelmed mm. of too much to do. And I don't, I don't know how to do half the stuff I'm trying to do. It's a miracle that I haven't shocked myself <laughs> yet, but that, I mean, that's where those attacks come from. It's much more those, those subtle, even this morning, I, I have been running for the last several months, but I was tired. I was, had felt like another migraine coming on, like my body hurt. And so I didn't run because I was, I wasn't in the mood. So like, Oh, maybe I should read a little bit of the Bible. Maybe I should listen to a little bit of a, of a worship music. Maybe I should spend five minutes drinking coffee and praying instead of just jumping up, checking my email and getting to work. Because we do have to train. And then Paul says like a soldier, he also says like an athlete. Good. So that we can run our race. We talk about running races a lot up, up here. We want to be prepared. And I want to hit back to the verse you pulled out. Be prepared to give reason for the hope that you have. And the key piece of that, other than be prepared, is to have hope. <laughs> there you go. Right? I mean, if you don't have hope, you have nothing to be prepared for. Like, hey, why are you so bummed out and miserable all the time? Right. It's like, yeah, nobody's going to ask you that one. Well, they might. And you're always prepared for that. Why are you so down? Oh, man. I, so busy. I don't, I'm so busy. I'm so, <laughs> oh, my God. And I, like, we're, we're always ready to complain. Mm. We, we don't have to get ready to complain. We're always like, ready to give a reason for the <laughs> grouchiness that we have within us. Right. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. If, if someone is going to ask about the hope, that means they have to see you have hope. Right. That means they have to recognize that you are someone with hope. And they're only going to see that if you're living by hope. And, and so I don't know if you've ever been kind of not blindsided, but surprised when someone suddenly gives you an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Like it, it actually does happen. Like you don't have to force some conversations, like some conversations just naturally happen. And I think sometimes because we feel unprepared and we're not ready for whatever reason, like it gets kind of awkward. Like we kind of, and, and later on we are like, man, I really should have used, used that as an opportunity to talk about Jesus and talk about hope and talk about what I believe, you know, even if it's not like a evangelistic sort of thing, like it, you you're able to say the reason why I can do this is the only reason I can get through this is because I have a relationship with God and I know he loves me and I know I know he, he wants good things for me as hard as this is or whatever. Like, you know, you have to give reason. And, and that's the kind of thing that when people see that people would rather see a sermon than hear one. And it's a and much more effective preaching too. It's much more effective. And, uh, and because then it, then it, if, if they see it and they ask questions, it's going to give what you say, wait, but you have to be ready. You have to think about it. And or and you have to be close enough with the spirit with God where you're all where you're listening, and and like I said, uh, what it was a few episodes ago, um, the discipline of relationship. You have to have the yeah. discipline that that's the main discipline. Like if you want the discipline that you need, it's the discipline of listening. Like okay, God, what what's going on? Just always be listening and and being walking with Him. Like like that's the redemption. That's part of the redemption. Going back to walking with Him in the cool of the evening, like in the garden. Like Adam wasn't supposed to do all the stuff in the garden alone. He was doing it with God. God was with him while he was doing it. Um, and it was only it was after the he took the fruit that God shows up. Like they weren't together, right? Right. And so there, there's a discipline of like being leaning on Him, leaning on my beloved, like a song of Solomon. Who's that coming out of the wilderness, leaning on on the, his beloved or whatever? Um, so, and applying that to to what I was experiencing, yeah, I was laying my own interpretation. Oh, my wife's disappointed in me because I didn't do all this. Well, I had a lot of other stuff going on, but even like helping bring my daughter in, and she brought some presents, and we'd actually gotten like her best presents came from other people but I helped pick them out. 
And the idea of the the faucet running, the the leak, I still don't know why it leaked. I know I'm not I don't know what happened. But instead of taking it and interpreting it as I obviously don't know what I'm doing. I'm spending all this time and money and really just going to make the house worse. I give my own interpretation, but that it's a, you have to listen and say, God, what, what is it you're trying to teach me? What is it I need to learn even this morning? Yeah, I didn't run and I could easily beat myself up as and say, well, I should have, it didn't matter if I was in the mood. I should have gone running. I should have done this. God might've said, you were feeling bad because I wanted you to take it easy. You don't need to run. You you need your body needs to recover. You need to recover. It could be, yeah, you need to show a little more discipline, but yeah. it's not my interpretation. It's his. That's right. God, how what what do you want me to do with this? Am I supposed to do you want what do you want me to do? And it, what do you want me to do tomorrow? When stuff happens, our first response should be, God, what what do you have to say? Yeah. What's your interpretation of what just happened? Yeah, it's, it's not even an, an interpretation. It's the truth. It, I mean, he's not interpreting what's happening. He's just telling you what's, what is happening. Well, his and, interpretation and, is much better yeah. than mine. <laughs> but, you know, Jesus, when Jesus talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit in, in John, the latter part of John, he says, and he will lead you into all truth. Not some truth, not just religious truth, not mathematical truth, not just like, like all of it. Like he's in all truth and, and he will lead you. And this is why you need him is because he will lead you in all truth. And just a, a practical thing that my, my mentor, again, taught me was when he would get frustrated with something, he'd stop and he'd go, this is a test. He would just stop where he was and he'd go, he'd sit back. And he, and he, cause he's getting frustrated. He's getting angry and he, something's not working. And he, and then he'll stop and he'll go, this is a test father, help me. What, what's going on? And, and, and it's what a great discipline because things are going to piss us off. Things are going to happen where, you know, there's water all over the floor and what you <laughs> thought was, had been fixed and right. And, and, and our first, we can't help our first emotional reaction. Right. Like there's not a sin for me to get right. pissed off right away. Right. But just like we see later on in the movie, if I don't control those impulses, that's going to hurt other people. Like that's going to, then I'm just going to carry on whatever the devil wants to do in my life. I'm just going to, I'm going to multiply it. Humans are by their very nature multipliers. Like our whole bodies are meant to multiply ourselves. And, and through relationship, that's through, you know, becoming one with another person is how we multiply. And so what, whatever we allow in, we're going to multiply it, whether that's chaos, whether that's anger, whether that. So, so all that to say is I can't help my first reaction of anger or, or lust or temptation or whatever. I can't help that, but I can learn to say, to stop, be still and know and say, okay, God, what are you doing? What's going on? This is a test. I know I have an enemy. What's going on? And he is so faithful. He is so faithful to talk to us and let us know um, what's going on and guide us through those moments. I love what you, you you were referencing and you were you were heading us up right to our next the next <laughs> clip I wanted to talk about. And it's one of those key moments, both in the book and in the movies, where Paul he's going to face the Reverend Mother. I'd mentioned the Bean Jesuit. The Illuminati, she's the head Illuminati. She can tell what you can't tell her a lie. She knows if you're lying to her or not. And because his mother has been training Paul in these, in their ways, in their weirding ways. So she, he has powers from her. He has authority from him, from his father, Duke Leto. So this, this sort of culmination into this initiation where he stands before the Reverend Mother, and she she says, "Okay, well, this t it's time." He's his order is to put his hand in a box. He's like, "Oh, that's weird. It's a box." And as he's soon told as, it's going to hurt, it's going to hurt. What's this involved? It pain. Okay, weird. <laughs> but as soon Thanks. as he puts the hand in the box, she puts a needle at his neck, and this is the Gom Jabbar. And she says, if you take your hand out of the box, 
I will plunge this needle into your neck and you will die instantaneously. No big whoop. <laughs> Thanks. And in the book, I, I, and again, nerd, uh, the book really describes how what his, he felt like his hand had burned off. Right. To the point where when he took it out at the end, obviously, spoiler, he doesn't die. That's not what we're focusing on. The focus is this, this balance of pain and fear and what we do with it. Because during this scene, Paul's got his hand in the box. What's in the box? <laughs> oh, no. I don't know if we'll ever do seven here. No, probably not. <laughs> but his mother's outside doing her weepy thing, but she's going over the bean gesserit codes about fear and how to defeat fear. And it's about bringing your, your mind, your body under the authority and control of your mind. And so that's, what's going on during this clip. Because it's and and visually, as we mentioned a million times on this already, visually it's a really good scene. It doesn't quite carry over as much on audio, but I think it's still going to work. The test is simple: remove your hand from the box, and you die. It's in the box. Pain. No need to call the guards. Your mother stands behind that door. No one will get past her. Why are you doing this? An animal caught in a trap will gnaw off its own leg to escape. What will you do? Silence. So here is what Jessica was saying. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings obliteration. And I'll face my fear and I'll permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye and see its path. And where the fear is gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. So good. Yeah, I think we're going to probably spend the rest of our time talking about this <laughs> <laughs> because this, this, this idea that fear, I mean, it's true. It's scientifically true that when fear and anxiety increase, your brain ceases functioning. Okay, it, that's it right. kills your mind. Yep. Basically the rest of the movie, I think basically is this section walked out. There's a scene late in the movie where they take a, an ornithopter, which is a cool little dragonfly looking helicopter thing. And it flies and it's in a sandstorm. And the only way to survive the sandstorm 
is to let go of the controls and let the wind carry it as opposed to fighting it. And I had a, a friend of mine who used to tell me that he's like, you just need to get out of your own way. Like let the spirit move through you and stop fighting for control. And that's what happens is we fight for control when, whether it's water on the floor <laughs> or something a little more dramatic and important. We say, this doesn't look like how I want it to look. And we try to take it back because we're afraid of that. It's not going to be that we're, that it's going to bring pain. Right. <laughs> and, um, Alan Arnold, friend of the pod, <laughs> he, he talks a lot about this, this contrast between love and fear. And this was really eye opening for me early in earlier in February, because I realized how much of what I was doing was based out of fear. But he says, every choice we make is based on love or fear. Fear-based reactions look like control, offense, rage, and scarcity. None of that going on in the world today. (laughs) (laughs) Love-based reactions reflect patience, kindness, true strength, and abundance. Love or fear, those are the only two choices. Which do you reflect? Love it. Love it. You know, the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And you're totally right. That was 2,000 years ago that was written. And, and it, it shows that contrast. Like fear is on the other side of love. It's not hate. It's fear. Because fear shuts you down. But it shuts you down in a different way. You make different decisions. And you make decisions trying to accomplished a security that is elusive and won't work because it's based out of fear. Fear does the same thing that faith does. Faith leads to its own fulfillment. Faith, actually, you will get what you believe in faith, right? The faith that God gives you. I'm not talking about just any faith. Well, I believe, when, you know, just got to have faith, faith, faith. Yeah. It's not a name it, claim it thing. It's a, it, you know, faith is seeing the unseen and then and then you follow that and 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 it's realized because you're you have a revelation that goes beyond what you physically see fear is based on the unseen too fear is based on it could be something that you you know physically see in front of you but then you're afraid of what's going to happen right i mean fear is you know and, and you could be healthy, right? I mean, like some dudes about, to, you know, you might need to run. Um, but fear is also based on what is unseen. And I've seen it happen so many times. And I've, I've tried to help a couple of people. And it's really difficult because they don't understand it. It's like you get what you're afraid of. Because you, if when you act out of fear, you actually get what you were, whatever you were afraid of. Because you're focusing so, on it. Because you're focusing on it. So the woman who doesn't want to be abandoned, because she has a fear of abandonment, she starts living according to this fear of abandonment. People have, and probably because people have legitimately abandoned her. Right. Right. So she tries to live out of this. She lives out of this fear of abandonment. So what does she do? She tries to control things. So there's, it's just control, control, control. But see, people don't like to be controlled. So what do they do? They leave. But now her fear of abandonment has just become realized. You see, so see she I'm works saying? even like, harder at it. She tries. So she even works harder. even harder yeah. to try to makes it hold worse. on to people. <laughs> she tries to manipulate people. She tries to bully people. She tries to do anything she can so that people won't leave her. But they they just that just makes them want to leave her even more. Unless you're Jesus and He sees the difference and He knows what's really going on, or unless you're the church and you love her and you try to say, "Look, what all the stuff that's behind this is fear." And God, God wants it to be done out of love. God, you know, God wants to switch this out. And, and, and I love that. And, and I love the fact that it was, can you endure pain? You know, and, and it go, it's going back to, man, if you're going to be chosen for something, like the, the question isn't, are you ready to be happy? Are you ready to have a good time? Right? If you're yeah, going to be chosen, chosen ones in these stories are never... Never have a pleasant journey. I'm sorry. No prophet was ever given a glossy gold (laughs) trimmed road into being a prophet. Like like there was pain and tragedy. And and, and I'm not saying it's always going to happen that way, but it's not, 
a fun road all the time. Like being having a, a coal that even the angel wouldn't touch. The angel had to use tongs and having that put to your mouth. Like this does not sound like a fun experience for, for Isaiah. However, his revelation of who the son of God was, was the, the biggest revelation of the Messiah that had ever happened yet. Yeah. Like he had a revelation no one had ever got, but what, what, what did it take to get there? He had to, he had to be able to say, look, I know this hurts, but I'm going to stick it out because reality, even though it feels like my life is ending, like it feels like my hand is burning off. That's not reality. That's not reality. And, and if I act I think I'm dying, but if I act according to what I, you know, if I try to save my hand, I'll lose my life. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. That, good. That's where I was trying to go. Yeah, exactly. If I try to save my life, I'll lose it. But if I lose my life for, it's not just for anything for the sake of the gospel, for the, for the sake of Jesus and the sake of the good news, then that is where you will find it. And that's what, that's what ends up happening to Paul in the movie is he has to make hard decisions and he has to do really things that go kind of against his his morality and, and a certain to a certain level. I'm not suggesting people go against their morality necessarily. I'm just saying like he had to do something he didn't really, really didn't want to do. But that's what had to happen for him to kind of ascend to that next stage of his, you know, becoming of who he was supposed to be uh, with that fight towards the end, which is so well done that I, I really did like that scene. And the kind of the end sort yeah. of scene that they had there, uh, that that progression that they had at the end of the story. So anyway, I, I really liked that scene. I love the last line of that, where she says, "Only I will remain." Mm-hmm. That's the message of the scriptures. When it talks about when James talks about, consider it joy when you suffer various trials, because what it is, it's it's. It's not talking about, yay, more pain or, you know, it's not some sort of sadistic approach to right. life. Right. But it's knowing that God loves you. Because if, if, our, if our response is based on love and confidence that God loves us, then the heat, the fire, isn't going to kill us. But it's going to burn away everything that's not really us. It's just like when you're melting gold, you heat it up until it melts, but whatever is the impurities in the gold, they're not melted. So they get scooped out and you have a purer uh, sample. You have a, the -hmm. gold is higher quality. And that's what happens when we go through the fire, when we go through the testing. Recently, I lost, I've lost 75 pounds. I was out of, I wasn't necessarily out of shape because I was exercising, but I had to figure out like, why was I gaining weight and some, some medical issues. And like, I kind of figured it out, but I didn't lose 75 pounds because it was easy. Like you, even, even, even though I figured one of the issues out, you know, there were moments when I was hungry because I was limiting my food intake. I mean, I wasn't starving myself, but it was definitely, I'm not, you know, I'm only having one piece of pizza, which is fine. And it satisfies me because I'm an old man and I'm not 16 anymore. And I, you know, I can't eat like that anymore, but you know, your body's like, wait a minute, why are you denying me? Your body hates it when you deny it things. Your body hates it when you deny it things that it wants. The flesh wants to be the boss. It wants to be the boss. And you say, no, I'm the boss. And, and, and I'm, you, you don't rule over me because then I become a slave. Whatever you allow to rule over you, you, you become a slave of that thing. Whether it was, you know, choosing what to eat and being disciplined about that. And, uh, or whether it was the exercise or, and doing it over, it, it took, six months for me to lose 75 pounds or at 1.80 pounds, I've kind of gained a little bit. back. (laughs) Um, But the point is, is that I feel 10 times, a hundred times better. I feel more like myself. I feel better. I can breathe easier. I sleep better. So what I had to tell myself is you're right. I'm not being a sadist 
to tell myself no. I, I was telling myself no because there was something better on the other side of mm. this. And it's the same way when you're when you're the athlete or you're the soldier. Uh, there's a great movie called Renaissance Man. We we may not need we 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 may need to do that at some point. But I'm not sure. Great movie would. Uh... <laughs> uh, have you seen it with Danny DeVito yes, and the whole thing? Oh, I love that movie. It's been a while. It, maybe it's not a great movie, but I like it. <laughs> and but there's this one part where they're coming out of the army base, and there's a sign in the army base, and it says the 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 battle is won here. You know, the battle is was won on the army base. So what what does that mean? Like the battle, like one day you might be in battle, but where is that going to be won? And uh, Band of Brothers, I hope we get to do some Band of Brothers at some point. Oh yeah. But like in Band of Brothers, uh, they end up saying. You know, that that original group of the 101st that went through Curahee and as much as they hated, I forget his name, Lieutenant, whatever the um, Ross, you know, the Ross character, um, as much as they Sobels, as much as they hated him, they trained for a year before they went to to France and D-Day and their replacements only trained for a few weeks. And like in comparison, and they said, as much as we hated him, the ones that survived, we would not have survived without his training as much as we hated him. And he made us throw up and it was, he was sadistic. We thought he was awful, but like looking back, he saved our lives. And, and that's the kind of thing we're, we're talking about. You have to see and, and God gives us that. God gives us the faith and the revelation to say, the pain you're of now isn't the end of the story. I'm right. doing this for a reason. I'm doing this for, for, uh, for good. Like there's a, there's a, a good reason that, and, and even things that we don't think are, and aren't good, you know, somebody getting sick or there's an accident and you know, an untimely death, there's a promise that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose and walk with him, all things will work out for good. And, and that's a, that's an amazing promise that I know I have had to stand on <laughs> and cling to when I don't understand why the heck some things are going on. Right. And, um, and I just love that. But anyway, it's a great scene. And I really, I really liked it. So the question that we have to answer ourselves as we wrap this up is when we're going through those times of trial, of pain, are we going to listen to the voice of fear or the mm. voice of love? And because it doesn't come natural, right? It's like, no, I want that second piece of pizza. No, <laughs> I want to be pissed off about the water on the floor. <laughs> We've got to train ourselves. And that could just be, hey, what is a verse like like Jessica did? What is almost what is a mantra? Yeah. I, that love I can that. say, what do I need to hold on to? Yeah. I'm a big fan of peace be still because when I go to bed at night, I'll try to say peace when I inhale and be still on the exhale one, because Jesus said it. So it's got some weight behind it, but that's my command over my heart. Yeah. So it's, it's how can we train? How can we, how can we defeat fear? And we know perfect love casts out fear and the source of perfect love is God. And we've got Amen. God in us. I'm glad you brought that out too, because that's something that I remember thinking when, when, when I was watching the movie, like she was saying it, like it was a scripture, like it was a mantra, like it was like, and, and it was, and that it was something that she had taught him. Right. Even though he wasn't saying it, like she was like, it was almost like a prayer. Like, remember this, like, yeah. I know you're going through this. Remember what I taught you. It's like she didn't yeah, just. And that's how it was power. shot as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because. What she was saying, he was thinking. Yeah. That and was in the cool. book, it does that. You can tell that he's doing these mantras in these moments of, oh no, I've got yeah. to get control of my heart rate. Yeah, that's good stuff. So we look forward. I get they haven't even started shooting part two. Really? I don't know. You just said they just now greenlit no, it. No, they sure they just greenlit it. So you're right. So they I guess they haven't shooting. and they haven't they haven't uh cast the other bad guy, the the Paul uh protagonist. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Fade Ruatha. <laughs> I love that you know all the names. I mean, I know you just read it, but I think it's so cool that you know all the names. So we enjoyed Dune. It's got at least a B plus. We're both going to watch it again. Um, we love our HBO Max. So this has been Paul McDonald and Britt Mooney talking about love and fear and 
making through the fire of pain. Mm. Hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you join us next time here on the Minute the Movies podcast. Something inside has been awakened. I can no longer be who I was before. But if I am no longer who I was, who am I to be? Yeah.